breath. He saw everything disappear, every light go out, faster than it was possible to think the words that could describe it. He shouted, No! and stumbled forward to make his way down the high tiers of wooden stairs he had only just ascended. Hoarse in the distance, another voice called, No! over a cascade of sound, the brittle pop of breaking glass, screams peppering the air like gunshot, and the throaty insistence of the water. Even as Frank turned, the mud-colored tide was boiling up the stairs and leaping the boardwalk barricade. He plunged forward, trying to wade against it, to find the riser of the wooden steps. But there was nothing. His foot bounced against the water. He was soaked to the thigh. Pulling himself up along the top rail of the fence, for he would certainly be able to see something of the inn from there, or at least hear something, he shouted, Natalie! There were no voices, no lights, except the milky smear from the hotels and office towers, far in the distance to his left, like a frill of fallen stars. No sound, except the insistent gossip of the water, and he was wet now to his waist. Grateful that he was still at least relatively young and passably fit, Frank hauled himself over the fence. He skip-sprinted across the car park to their little Morris mini-miner. Water was already frothing around the tires. Frank pulled open the door, throwing himself into the seat, fumbling for his keys, quickly gaining the highway. He stopped again and got out. He heard a man's voice cry, Help! Who's there? And then again, the swallowing silence. Floodwater rocked at the verge of the road, now how many feet above sea level? Of the two of them, Natalie was, pound for pound, by far the stronger, fitter, even tougher. Of the two of them, she was also the more intrepid, the more likely to have found some way to outsmart and elude this cliff of tides. They would find each other, and he did her no service by stalling here, forsaking his own life for no purpose. Natalie would have hated him for that. He floored it, racing inland, Miles sloughed away, and he felt, rather than saw, the dark shapes of other cars congealing around him. At last, there was nowhere to move, and all the cars had to stop, and Frank got out and walked. Others walked, too. An old man struggled under the weight of a gray-lipped girl. She was perhaps ten or eleven years old, and her sweet, lifeless face had closed in a smile, her nose and eyes pouring salt-water tears. Frank saw a young woman wearing just one shoe. She clutched a bundle of wet clothes, among them a child's small jersey embroidered with cross-stitched Santas. A man Frank's own age sat sobbing near a great blooming evergreen frangipani. Frank avoided their eyes. He thought he might be able to get to a place where he could think, but he only walked farther. He met people hiking toward him, or saw them sitting in their cars or standing still by the roadside, their hands like the pendulums of broken clocks. After some time, he came upon a large group gathered around a car whose young driver had removed his outsized speakers from the dash. A basso radio voice intoned, Now you will hear that the tsunami happened because of climate change, friends. You will hear that it struck our coast because of a tropical storm deep in the Pacific. You will hear that this was a random event. But do you believe that? How can any man believe that it was a coincidence that water swept into the Sodom of Brisbane on this very hallowed night? Intelligent people will say that we have failed to take care of our earth. 
But the Lord God Almighty does not care about the climate. He cares about the climate of our souls. As it says in Matthew, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. And so it has come. Frank walked around a curve in the road, and the preacher's voice faded to a series of thumps, like the bass notes of a song from a car passing the open window of Frank's childhood bedroom on the farm. A pale vein of light lolled on the horizon. It would soon be dawn, on Christmas morning. Chapter 2 Darkness gave way to a dreary matte pearl, and Frank noticed that the park where he sat was a cemetery. Outside of Brisbane, there was so much sheer breadth of land that every dear departed citizen could have had a square mile for a tomb. Yet this was one of the streamlined modern kinds of mortuary parks with flat brass markers built.